Hi, everyone, and welcome back to RPG R&D. I am one of your hosts, Jess Geyer. I'm one half of Wannabe Games, and I design tabletop role-playing games. And I'm here with my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hi, Craig. Hi, Jess. Um, yeah, I'm Craig Campbell. I'm the owner of Nerdburger Games, and I also design tabletop role-playing games. And uh, and we both, Jess, do all sorts of things in the realm of uh, designing role-playing games. That's right. Um, and so we are always branching out and trying to find people who do stuff other than just design. And that, not that just designing is a bad thing, but you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, people that are uh, kind of part of the whole RPG thing. So today we have with us Linda Codega. Hello. Hello. Linda, thank you for joining us today. Tell us a little thank bit about you. yourself. Yeah. So my name is Linda Codega. I am a primarily a journalist, a pop culture journalist for the website io9 or Gizmodo. Uh, and I have a lot of focus on tabletop role-playing games. How'd you I also, yeah. Oh no, go ahead. You finish. <laughs> oh, there was a pause and I was like, but I'll fill it in. Uh, but I also cover film, uh, tele film, television, books, board games, Anything that's like even vaguely nerdy is kind of on my radar. How'd you get into doing that? Were you a nerd first, a journalist second, or vice versa? Well, I've always been a writer um, and definitely nerd first. <laughs> that started very early. Uh, definitely nerd first and always been a writer and just kind of moved my way through positions where I was writing nonfiction for work uh, as a career and, you know, uh, did some freelancing about, started freelancing uh, three or four, maybe five years ago and got some good clips. And, you know, earlier this year, uh, got hired full-time at io9, which is pretty sick. Well, congratulations <laughs> on that. And we are here not to talk to you about journalism, Bummer. right? Although... You can you can you can slip journalism stuff in there every so often if you want no. to. No thanks. <laughs> Not a no lot. thanks. That's okay. I don't want to. It's you know <laughs> who wants to hear about me like DMing you know dozens of people asking like please talk to me for a story. Hey, the <laughs> newsroom RPG. I'm gonna start developing that. Uh <laughs> oh my god. There's a great one actually that I just that there's a great one uh by River Horse. Gate, River House games mm, mm -hmm. um, called Athletics. And it's basically a fantasy newsroom where you're like orcs and elves or whatever, but <laughs> you're also uh, you're also like kind of trying to be undercover about the fact that you're all very homosexual and you are at this like cheesecake muscle magazine called Athletics. I love that. <laughs> and you have to like make it as as homoerotic as possible without getting like censored that's great yeah <laughs> some of the riverhouse games are some they're some of my favorite ones there are so many weird ones out there and i love that athletics yeah craig what are we talking about today what's our topic oh uh well we're starting with gming again uh as normal and um, specifically, there's an awful lot of RPGs out there that have magic as part of the game. You know, darn near every fantasy game, um, all sorts of modern day games, um, various historical alternate history type games. They're, they're all over the place. Even, you know, horror games sometimes have some sort of magical, even if it's just like dark ritual kind of stuff in Cthulhu. But one of the things that we can is uh, fall into the trap of is just letting magic become too mundane. It's like, well, it's just another thing that our characters can do. And so we describe magic the same way we describe, you know, a sword swing or, um, you know, rappelling down a wall or whatever. And it, it maybe maybe magic loses some of its magic. And so, um, if, you know, from the GM point of view, what can we do uh, as a GM and also in, in encouraging players? to make the magic at the table a little more magical and make it kind of sing a little more than just saying, I cast fireball. Yeah, this is a big topic. Do you have any thoughts on this, Linda? You, you picked the topic. Yeah, so I'm thinking how a lot of magic is obviously an alternative solution to a problem more so than necessarily a fantastic solution to a problem. There's a lot, there's a lot to be said about magic for the for the sake of utility in a game where it's just like if there's nothing 
that I could do with, you know, the tools in my backpack, I can always cast a spell of some kind and have the same effect. So I don't know. I, I think that there's, it's, it's kind of hard to say, how do we keep magic magical when so much of the magic in these game systems is a function, is like a functional magic, much more so than like a fantasy. Yeah, there is a, like a lot of very functional type spells in D&D, for example, you know, the system most people are familiar with, of course, there's mending. Do you want to make, do you want to fix this thing? Let's make water, uh, making food. Like there are all these mm-hmm. very utilitarian, like you said, problem solving magic tools. And I think that that can be really great integrating the magic system into the day-to-day lives of these people and imagining what this world would be like if it were just another tool you had at your disposal. Yeah, I think it's interesting to think of magic less of a tool in your toolkit and much more like a cultural, the cultural impact of magic at the, at the table. I think that's really where you can make the fantasy really shine is having this kind of interwoven thought process of how magic actually affects society and class and culture and how that is woven into the fabric of the storytelling much more so than expecting players to develop that because so many players like use magic to achieve an end which Mm -hmm. is kind of like the way the way that magic is built into these systems as like a utilitarian tool and I think that if if you as a GM or you as a player really want to have magic be more effervescent or more natural or more or like less functional it needs to be kind of a different a different discussion at the table of like what magic is how it's used and who cares about it oh yeah starting like from the session zero and making making that up together I think can be a great way to start with that I love how you said like tying it into the the culture of of the setting that you're playing with or even the culture of the individual characters so does the magic of the elves look different than the magic of the goblins does it does it have a different smell does it have a different use is it passed on via different people is it a matriarchy is it like do you mm-hmm. just come up learning it what what is the what is the nature yeah. of that those are some good questions to ask in session 0 and maybe develop that together that would also get your players more mm-hmm. on board too maybe more descriptive at the same time yeah, and I think that there's far be it from me to say Dungeons the Dragons is not a good game for magic. However, I think that the problem with Dungeons the Dragons and magic is that it is so specific about this magic comes from like a deal. This magic comes from the god. This magic comes from earth. This magic comes from like your innate power. And all of those are like, that's five different magic systems, you know? And I think there's no way to really unite the lore of Dungeons and Dragons within like a larger cultural or not no way, but it it seems difficult to me if I were at a game to unite all of these different magical effects and a magical, like fundamental magical, like sources within one unifying magic system because they're all different systems you know like what is a what is a magic system if we're gonna like go into it you know um so I think it's hard I think it's it's definitely like a a problem that people need to figure out at their individual games if they're like okay so we know that clerics are like literally like directly talking to gods but how about we just say that like all magic is god-given and you just sort of have that pantheon is kind of like, here's where the magic comes from. More so than letting people like, oh, well, like you have an arc lake in your closet feeding you magic. Uh, that's fine. And whereas like that's like slightly different. Maybe you could just say like, yeah, the arc lake is like a god that has been like tossed down from the pantheon or whatever. But I think there's ways to unify it. It just like takes consideration 
love the idea of a game called Skeleton in the Closet where that exact scenario happens. <laughs> I want to play it. that game. I'd be the skeleton, though. <laughs> oh, you are the skeleton in the closet providing power yeah. for this person. Yeah, I think that's... <laughs> oh, no. Uh, where's my notebook? I need to make a game. <laughs> You are the skeleton in a closet. <laughs> Linda, <laughs> you're pointing out like in, in with D&D, like the, it's it's one magic system. Of the, the magic all mostly works the same way. It has casting times and durations and ranges mm-hmm. and saving throws and all that. But then where all the magic comes from is is different for the different classes. And I think as GMs, we can encourage the players to play that part of it up and not just say, well, I cast this spell. You know, the, the, the player mm-hmm. portraying the cleric says, I cast um, healing word. And you say, well, what does that sound like? And the mm-hmm. player, you know, says, you know, well, my, my character steps forward, brandishes his holy symbol and says, Helm, God, you know, Helm, God of guardians, um, protect us and heal us now. And this our most unfortunate hour. And, you know, and play up the fact that they're calling upon a favor. They're asking a God to do something for them. If mm-hmm. you're playing a wizard. Describe your precise movements that you learned by studying this book or by being taught by a master. Mm-hmm. If you're a wizard, you know, if you're playing a sorcerer, you're talking about how like, well, I give this a try. You know, it's like, this is kind of how it works for me um, because magic is just kind of in my blood. Um, mm-hmm. And so I do these things um, that cause and causes the magic to happen and, and get away from just saying I cast this or I cast that. And I understand that there's, People have concerns about how long scenes and combats in particular can take if if everybody gets really flowery with their language. But I think when it comes to, you know, uh, you, you can find ways to to be flowery and give that extra emphasis the same way that you describe in a little more detail the sword swing and how the blood sprays and like because your character is a weapon master and what that means to to use this feat or to use this special ability. Yeah. And just just inject that a little bit and be and be consistent with it. And when the GM introduces a spellcaster that is nothing like any of the things that the players are playing, like bring as the GM, you do the same thing. Like you've got a they're going up against uh, something that's uh, a spellcaster that's drawing their energy from from the air, let's say. And so everything about them is about addressing the air. They're going to have big movements. They're going to draw air into themselves. There's going to be light that swirls around them. There's going to be wind that carries the magic to them. They'll be like everything, like suddenly there's a wind that comes from every direction and ends at this character. And that's, that, you know, reinforces that this is magic that's being drawn from the magic that's in the air or whatever the, you know, whatever you decide the flavor is. It'd have to have a really big cape. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Robes. It's a must. They have it's these big, big billowy robes, and then when they cast mm-hmm. their magic, all the robes get pushed in. I'm thinking and like then layers. Everything bursts out with magic. I'm thinking like layers of a cape and like this really, really fine like crepe, like crepe fabric. So it looks like this massive, like fluttering, like lotus flower as as all the wind comes in. That's... Everything, everything lifts up, and they they get three times as big. They, you know, they oh they yeah, look, it's like... they look three times as big as they are. Yeah, it's you know they're trying to intimidate someone, so they just puff up, puff up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just watched literally two days ago. I think when was Thursday? Time doesn't mean anything to me anymore. I'm on summer break. I just watched Turning Red, and in Turning Red, Cute. they also have a little bit of flair with their magic. First of all, it's super tied into. The culture of the two characters, if you haven't Mm -hmm. seen the movie, it is about a Chinese-Canadian family that has uh, an ancestor that turned into a giant red panda and now has passed down that magic to the main character. And one of the flares with it is, number one, when, when the kid has a lot of emotions, they turn into the panda. And number two, their hair is red. And just little tiny flares like that can make a little bit of a difference. Is there a physical manifestation on your body of your magic? Do you dress a certain way with your magic? How is it tied into your ancestry? Uh, I loved that about that movie. As soon as the character's hair was red, I was like, oh, that's that's so good. I love that. Main character hair. Yeah, main character hair. Everyone wants to <laughs> everyone wants to kind of be the main character too, right? Everyone wants the cool. They want to be Storm from the X-Men with their with their uh glowy eyes when they start doing the lightning and, uh, and just everyone 
Mohawk Storm is the best. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that all that's again very interesting to to think about when when we're talking about like descriptions of of magic and like expressions of spell casting at the table. But I think that it's also like how much of that is part of the like performance that you're trying to put into it and how much of that is world building. Mm-hmm. I think there's like a pretty distinct difference in between people who, or, you know, there's like cross, it's a Venn diagram, whatever, but there's, there's a difference in between people who want to make their character just really, really cool. And then there then people who are like trying to add something to the world that they're playing mm-hmm. in. And very often those those two intersect, but very often like they don't, which is fine. I don't think there's a, a right way or a wrong way. Um, but I think it's interesting to figure out like what kind of magic builds the world and what kind of magic breaks it in your games. I don't I don't think it's necessarily like breaking the world is going to be a little bit harder to do if you're not completely house ruling everything because most magic systems people have put thought into them with their design you're not going to tip the scales in a huge way but at the same time maybe don't be too afraid to if something doesn't end up working out it ends up being too tough or you just don't want to use this magic system for you're doing this huge ritual to end the world because that's what your villains want they want to rebuild the world from the ashes Mm. of the old one there's not a spell book. There's not a spell in the spell book for that. Well, does that mean mm-hmm. you can't do it? No. I mean, you you can. I mean, as long as everyone's cool with going outside of the book, which is something you should always communicate with your players about. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm thinking about what you said with your, when you said um, ma- magic systems are designed to to work. I think that there's there's something very interesting about that because like I feel like so many magic systems are designed to be like tools mm-hmm. again and I feel like there's I don't know like they're designed to like be they're designed to be utilitarian they're not necessarily designed to be like effective expressions of like a magical culture or like a fantastic scene at the table I think that sometimes like books are designed to encourage that kind of role-playing and that kind of thought process. But yeah, I think that's something that like is, is really very firmly rooted in the players themselves and how much they are invested in like creating the kind of magic that they want to see. And I think that there's, yeah, I think that there's, it's, it's hard to sort of imagine a magic system that is, emergent and non-utilitarian but I think that would be an interesting uh game an interesting experiment that's the hard thing to do with magic right is is pinning it the the more rules you put down for the magic system the less like our imagination our concept of magic in the real world the less it's like that Mm because magic in the real world is well first of all it's magic doesn't really exist but we can I'll imagine like what it what it is like, what what it might do, and no one has the the answers for that. I mean, that's the religious and philosophical question of the age, right? As soon as you put it down in the book, you have to say, this is how it works and when. Here's what you have to do to do it. The more you add on to it, the more you do put it into that little box. And that can, I mean, that's you you're putting it in your toolbox, it becomes a tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's just the way magic is in all, and almost I'm not gonna say all, but in many of the books that I this the the TTRPG books that I've read, that's always how it's used, or almost always how it's used. I'm trying to avoid saying that right. always. <laughs> I find myself thinking too, like even with a system that's as codified across like little minor cantrips all the way up to massive mega death or world altering spells that that dnd is you can if, if you color your world certain ways you can play to the idea of magic that is 
with to, in the in the viewpoint of the characters in the world magic that is mundane magic that is kind of special magic that is whoa what the hell is that mm -hmm. um like if, if if like you could you could run a campaign and say my world works like this anything that's like a cantrip or a first or second level spell people have heard of it a lot of people have seen it some of some people use it on a regular basis like maybe cooking isn't as big of a thing like people literally create food and water because mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's easier because it's, it's this magic spell that everybody kind of, you know, a lot of people know. Um, but then if somebody comes rolling into town and whips up a cloud that murders a bunch of low hit die creatures and casts something like cloud kill to people that aren't used to seeing anything more than, you know, something that can mend a wagon wheel. Now that becomes a much bigger deal. And mm -hmm. you could go, you know, you could take that to the extent of like, this is just an an idea just like off the top of my head there's there's probably ramifications that you'd have to give some thought to but you could like a gm you could literally go through the spell book and the spell list and say this spell doesn't exist yet this spell doesn't exist yet this spell doesn't exist yet and let the players and then also the villains and the other npcs and everything develop those spells as the game comes along and that becomes that becomes the emergent magic that becomes like there's these other things that people start doing with magic that was heretofore unknown and that the populace will react to in a certain way and it will make it more magical for the people in the world because it was like well people couldn't you know like you know disintegrating a door like just disintegrating like here's a you know a, a metal door on a on a castle and i just cast a spell and it's dust whoa 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 what what you you created a magic that does what like you're gonna have some people are gonna be like be like that's spectacular i love that that's wonderful you should teach more people how to do that and other people in this world are going to be like that's going to change the nature of warfare like <laughs> like you're not gonna have to siege a castle the same way anymore if you can just disintegrate doors mm -hmm. so yeah there's a lot of ways that you can and 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 you know i'm sure there are games out there that have some build of that sort of thing into it i designed i, I designed a game that i thought a little bit about the, the idea of common everyday magic versus ancient magic it's like kind of part of the game it's not as big of a part of a game as, as some fantasy games but there's a lot you can do with just especially if you've got a very robust magic system that is very very capable of doing a lot of things or has a lot of spells on a list or a lot of options and just you, you can tailor things to make um certain parts of that system um, really spectacular and interesting. I ran, I played in a campaign with when we, when my, my D and D group transitioned from second to third edition, we added the sorcerer became an option in D and D wasn't in second edition. And so when we started the game, my DM said, the sorcerer is not available as an option, not even to multi-class right now. And we built, he built a storyline about finding the first sorcerer, which was a oh. world altering kind of thing. And it actually kind of made magic a little magical again. Because all of a sudden there was a character in this, and once we met them and they were with the group for a little while, then we got to the point where like, well, now if you wanted to multi-class into the sorcerer, or if you your character gets killed, you can play a sorcerer or whatever, because now this magic has kind of been introduced to the world. Yeah, I think that that's, that's definitely an interesting take. I think that in order to make that work, you would need a longer game. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's something, there's something about that that feels you know, epic in scope. Mm -hmm. You want the payoff at the end right. to be meaningful, to make it meaningful. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, yeah. I think something like that is very hard to do. I think any any kind of good world building is harder to do the shorter amount of time you're playing. And there's more either cooperative world building you have to do for a one shot or a mini campaign. Mm -hmm than you do as a you like you have time to build up a longer like idea of what this whole thing is about if you are playing for longer and longer periods of time yeah so i think that i think an interesting solution to this oh god i'm gonna hate myself for saying this is to like play an ip game mm -hmm. like avatar or if there was like a good full metal alchemist rpg and that way, like everyone sort of the people who are playing who are fans are already familiar with the magic system and then like playing playing with that and developing yeah. it a little bit further. Um, again, because those those magic systems very specifically are very focused and very much just like this is how magic works, especially like I I personally think Full Metal Alchemist is like one of the best magic systems. out oh, there. Oh, yeah. Like without a doubt. And if even in that anime, they're 
there's the very like the rule system and then one of the main characters Edward can do magic without a circle and that's a big Mm -hmm. deal and that's cool and in Avatar like in the in Legend of Korra there's this new mm -hmm. yeah spirit and lava bending and stuff like that but yeah I mean I think that's that's kind of the thing right like you have to know the rules in order to break them and make them you know fantastic or better or different or whatever um but yeah I think Full Metal Alchemist is like a really a really great example of how magic can be both mundane and also very fantastic because like in one of the very first episodes they go to a town where alchemists aren't really a thing and then there's like a fake alchemist and it was like a big deal because he was like doing alchemy and ed comes up and is like that's shit (laughs) and it's just really (laughs) funny like fuck this guy um but yeah i think that's that's an easy in if if you wanted to sort of make that discovery expansive discovery in like a shorter amount of time than it would take for like i mean it sounds like this campaign where you went from 2e to 3e was extended it was yeah (laughs) it sounds like it took years uh so i don't know a lot of there are that kind of play culture is harder to find and that kind of play group is harder to find nowadays maybe not nowadays but just like right now i think it's always been harder to find just forever so many games kind of fizzle out. It's so much easier to do something like that when you're in high school and you have four years that you're spending with the same people and <laughs> they can't run away and you know what their schedule is. You can't really do that as an adult. It's very difficult. Trap them. Mm, in yes. Your closet. Make them be your skeleton. GM tip from Linda Cadega. Uh, <laughs> trap your trap. gaming group in your home. <laughs> yes. In your closet. They will become the skeletons in your closet. They will give you magic and you will live forever with your friends. <laughs> that doesn't seem right, but okay. Look, that's a that's a GM tip from Lita Cadega. Just said it herself. I just said it, so it must be true. I don't I'm not making the rules here. It's not against the law either. If it's for magic, the cops can't do anything about it. Yeah, there's no there's no law on the books about what magic. are they gonna what are they gonna do? Bring in the magic police? I know that shit doesn't exist. <laughs> well, there there you go. Uh, we we solved the problem of making magic magical by uh, mm-hmm. evading the police and evading the law. And um, because it doesn't because the magic laws don't exist. <laughs> there's no there's no rule in the book that says a golden retriever can't do magic. Okay. There is, there is like, there's no law on the books that says golden retrievers can't do magic. So I don't know, man. Sounds like the police are wrong. Now I'm imagining, you know, the far side cartoon, the golden retriever magic version of the cows in the field when all the cows are standing up on hind legs and drinking martinis and talking to each other. And somebody goes car. And then they all drop down to the the cow position and the cow goes by and then at the end they're all popped back up again i just like whenever we're not around <laughs> golden retrievers are casting spells that's how they're so cute i would believe it that's why they're so good that's with children <laughs> so our second half of the show is all about designing magic systems as a gm how can you make the magic very magical when you're starting from a design standpoint and this designing magic for me as a as a game designer is very scary because I feel like it's one of those cultural touchstones in games like there's an expectation of how it's going to be and that if you have magic in your game it should be like this you should have rules for it and it should be done this way and if you don't do it this way you're going to make everything explode so (laughs) Um, this is the the game that we're finalizing right now that we're publishing in summer is the first time I've designed magic in a game. I have avoided it up until this moment. So I'm, I'm interested in hearing some game design tips on magic. Yeah, it's hard. I think that, uh, the, the magic has to suit the game. I, it's one of the reasons why I like 
D&D is fine because everyone knows it. Like you can sort of pick up and play. And like, if you have a good DM, like they can walk you through it. But I think that again, the game, the magic in D&D is not necessarily a good magic system. Mm -hmm. It's just not like there's spell, like you have the, the spells in the back that you can sort of reference and like use. And I'm like, that's fine. Like it's, it's economical, but it's not necessarily like flavorful in its own way. Like it, it doesn't really impact the, the game that you're trying to play. And I think that magic, when you are designing a magic system should be in the flavor, in the same flavor as the game that you are trying to write. Yeah. If that makes sense. It does. Our game's called The Means of Magic because we wanted you to know exactly what magic is doing in the game. Mm -hmm. Magic is literally the system of production in the world. It is a natural resource and everyone has access to it, but Mm -hmm. megacorps are exploiting it. They're drilling it out of the oceans. They're burning forests down to get it. And they're just amassing so much of it that it's disrupting the entire world. It's, it's, it's a global warming metaphor mm. tied in with capitalism. So, but those two are related. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Imagine. Oh my God. <laughs> so we're really trying to make the players think about how those two things are tied into to each other. Mm-hmm. Who, who owns our natural resources? Who would in a in a world like this, if if magic was literally just there for you to use, mm-hmm. who has the right to it? And how does the commodification of of that of that energy drive differences in cultures and how would people react to that? So the magic is all the the way that you use it is all tied into your the the mm-hmm. culture you create for your character at the beginning of the game, mm-hmm. um, and it's all mm-hmm. individual and unique. You can make it just like this is my special type. It's it's a modular system. Mm-hmm. Or it can be like, this is the magic that my grandma and my great grandma and my great great grandma all used. We all use it. And now it's in danger. And I have to do it to, to protect my community that's being bulldozed. So mm-hmm. we, we really tried to think about how exactly, how exactly this would affect the, the gameplay itself, as well as how you're using the magic. I really am happy with how it turned out, but it was it was hard to do. It was difficult yeah. um, just to create rules for for something like that. Yeah, I think I think it's it's definitely difficult, and I think that there there is a balance to be struck in between something that's too open ended, and then something that is you know very very tied down. And I think that. I'm having trouble thinking of like a game where the magic is like so small it's not effective because so many times those the games that are like the magic is small but it is effective because the game is also like a small game or it's a very focused game it's something like um kitchen witches you know where it's just like you are witches and you're doing dishes and it sucks and I think that, but I think that that game works really well because it is like, this is the magic that you use to do this and like how, how it works. And all right, I really like Wander Home. I think it's a, a great game and well-designed. I love tokens, but I think that the magic in that game is so open-ended and so in service to kind of like, the the players whims whimsies that it is not necessarily a I don't know like I like Jay a lot I don't want to speak badly about Jay's game it's it's okay to <laughs> it's, it's 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 okay to say and I agree I mean yeah, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a fine game but it's, it, 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 it's okay to say that a like, whimsical this, this system. magical system just didn't didn't hit the nail on the head for me yeah it's I think it's a I'll say that it's a very whimsical system. And I think that that's good for some games. And I don't think that it works for other games that you would play with that system. Right? Like, because I have played 
wander home multiple times and there are some times where like that that kind of like whimsy magic works and then there's a lot of times where it's just like the players uh either don't know what to do or they do something like really really weird and you're just like i why and it just like there without that without any structure it does encourage like a lot of play which can be great and like can be the kind of game you want to play but i think that there's there are moments where structure is needed in in games that are magic heavy especially in games where magic is a lot of flavor outside of like being utilitarian the structure doesn't necessarily need to come from the magic system itself like you you might not necessarily have to pin down rules for that but maybe somewhere in the game say hey here's how you can strike a balance with your game group so no one's going completely off the rails because i do feel like if you have a very loose open-ended magic can do anything system people you do have to as players come to an agreement about how that magic can be used in the game yeah and and really just have the a consensus idea about it yeah magic is a function of like gameplay more so than like player will mm-hmm. which is shitty to say because I think that like players should have control to do, like should have the ability to do whatever they want. Because I feel like there's this really interesting phenomenon where a lot of people will say, oh yeah, like the, the GM, you know, needs to be collaborative and the players should be able to do what they want. And then there's another, like literally like two minutes later, they'll say, but here's how to like manipulate your players into doing what you want as a GM. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, uh, GM uh, as uh, when you're designing your one of the one of the great challenges of designing a game I have found is mm-hmm. the fact that you can't control how the players are going to actually interact with what you're doing. All you can do is yeah. give them the guidelines that you can. You kind of have an intention for it, mm-hmm. and some people are going to take it one direction. Some people are going to take it another. Um, I think you know if you're looking at what kind of what what the magic system is you know like there's there's kind of not to put it on just a linear axis but there's there's lots of spots in the middle of the of the road Mm -hmm. but like you know it's kind of prescriptive where everything is like boom 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 spells work like this exactly like this every spell has a name every spell has a casting time it has a fact it does you know very specific yeah to to what you're talking about with like wander home and some other games like that where it's very improvisational it's, it's yeah. very loosey-goosey it's right. all over the place it's much more about imagining and it's like, what can i do with my magic and then yeah. there's 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 gradations in between that and just just you know figuring out as a designer which of those or where on that scale you're going to fall and every one of them is challenging in their own way yeah and i mean I, so I just had this horrible, horrible, weird little thought and I'm going to say out loud, phase rip is the perfect system. (laughs) (laughs) God, it's, I mean, it's one of those things, right? Like if you are trying, it's not, it's not the perfect system. I'm immediately reneging that comment, but the idea, the idea that I'm thinking of is that you are given the power to explain how your powers work, however you want, which is kind of how the way a lot of games do it but in phase rip you have like that very distinct like level system like where i don't know if you know what i'm talking about old marvel yes f-a-s-e-r-i-p yeah which was what force agility resilience like each each letter was a stat (laughs) it was really really it was really really silly but the thing that i'm thinking of is sort of at the back of the of the game, there was this table and it was called the phase rip table. And it showed if you were a certain level, you like looked at a certain column and it showed, okay, here's where, here's where you succeed. Here's where you don't succeed. Here's where you fail. Here's where like, you don't even make a mark. And that would like, all of those would go exponentially up the further along the column and up the levels you went. So I think that that that's kind of an interesting way to think about magic as like a s- skill, like s- innate skill versus like whatever. And like, maybe you're stuck only at like level three because like, that's just like, that's your fate. Sorry, <laughs> level three forever. 
Um, And then some people end up at like, you know, level 10 and they just like, they're always at level 10. So they have to be like really, really careful with their, with their abilities, like whatever. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's it's an interesting concept that like, if you get to a certain level of magic, like doing something that's weak and subtle is very Mm -hmm. hard. Yeah. (laughs) That, that, that could be make for a really flavorful magic system it's like well i want to be able to do this really cool powerful thing so my wizard's going to start to work toward that but there's going to come a point where like well now i just want to be able to put on like a light show for the kids but like my light show like burns shit down yeah because that's what that's what i'm channeling through me and then and now you you build some sort of a skill check you know magic casting check or um, you have to spend points to dumb things back, to weaken things back. And yeah. there, comes a, there comes a point if you run out of those, like now now everything is, you know. I'm thinking massive. of like, like Black Bolt, that superhero character. Yeah. Like no, no modulation there. And then there's also like this one character in the Tamora Pierce books, uh, Numair, who is just like such a powerful mage that he can only do like world ending shit. <laughs> so he's like basically useless up until like there's a war happening and then you like trot out this mage or you just like you know exiles florida <laughs> sinks, sinks the whole fucking state but yeah i don't know there's i think that there's when you're when you're designing when you're designing a system you have to really think about like not only how the players are going to use it but like how the how the players use it will impact the world Mm -hmm. and whether that that impact is for flavor or that impact is for damage or that impact is for culture or that impact is for a light show for the kids you know I think that figuring out the impact of magic in the world and its use within the system is really really key to designing that system tying the setting into the system it it yeah. makes a I mean, more cohesive game i mean that's you know that's based that's i'll fully admit that's like 101 shit but yeah that's uh <laughs> that's sort of just like there's there's so few there's like so few wrong answers to like how to design anything much less like a system of magic mm-hmm. you know <laughs> that the only the only real like ground advice i can think of is tie it to the game and make it a part of the fabric of the exploration of the world that you're trying to create. Right. It can be a, it can be useful to, to look at different magic systems from different games and see and, and critically think like, how does this magic system support what this game is about? Like mm-hmm. two, two of my favorite examples, just because I'm, you know, old school world of darkness played a lot of that in the nineties, which was, you know, like mage versus changeling mages, mm-hmm can do absolutely anything if you're of the high enough uh, power if you've got the, the, the enough points in the in the right spheres um you can do ridiculous things however magic breaks reality so paradox slaps you around if you try to create something that that reality can't explain and so there's this huge risk reward kind of built to it in the same world, supposedly in World of Darkness, there are changelings and their magic is like they can't do everything. Changelings can do things that are kind of fairy-like. They have a whole bunch of little schools of magic, basically, realms and, and things that are that are just like, well, we do we do these things that are kind of like they're they're the things you would expect fairy folk to do. Mm-hmm. And um, but they don't, n- none of what they do breaks reality. And, and the, it, it's a much, it's a, it's a, you know, per, perhaps borrowing that, that, that word, Linda, it's a little more whimsical and, you know, cause you, you can describe like, well, my changeling does this cute little dance and, you know, speaks this uh, tongue twister and it makes something happen. Um, whereas a wizard, you know, a mage in, in mage, the Ascension goes and like, does these arcane, whatever, you know, order of Hermes things has to draw symbols and archaic things and uh, mix ingredients and they they do something that's really ridiculously powerful because they've got you know matter five <laughs> prime five and they sure. can just blow up a building and uh but they're you know <laughs> there was there nobody has any explanation for why that building blew up so mm-hmm. now now they're you know there's a paradox spirit that's going to get them in trouble and those play nicely to what the game is about and you can find a lot of you know, there are plenty of games where it's like okay we've got a magic system that is to 
borrow what Linda was saying. Also, it's utilitarian. Everything is for solving a problem. All every every problem that you can come across can probably be solved by a spell, mm-hmm. assuming you have that spell available or you have that type of caster um, in your group. Or you can have you know games where the magic is like well you know your kitchen witches or your changelings, and you only have very specific things that you do because the game kind of necessitates that magic is just this little narrow path of things Mm -hmm. and you're not necessarily straight jacketing yourself over that in the game design um as a designer keep that in mind because you can you can expand on that with you know supplemental material if you ever do a second edition of the game or you just post something up online and say well you know for Mm -hmm. people who want to be able to do xyz then also you've got this and to give yeah. you know, to give it a little more or or put alternate rules in there and say like well you know the game kind of does this but then in a, like a little alternate rules chapter it's like but if you'd like to beef up this or that um there's there's these other things you can do too so there's it's very much a question of of like what magic is intended to do for the for the world and then yeah. you know play testing it and seeing if like if you want it to be have some sort of limitation, fire and forget type stuff or a mana system or a recharge system or something mm-hmm. like that, where there people have to bookkeep and 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 you know game the magic system in order to make sure they always have the things that they need available to them. Well, I can't cast a spell in this fight because I know we're gonna be dealing with something later. And I yeah. Yeah. You know, then then and then you just kind of, you know, that's that's numbers. That's mm-hmm. just that's just different ways of manipulating numbers. Everything yeah. we do in, in gaming is just, you know, math. It's we're telling stories with with and, and wrapping it around math. Yeah, that's that's those are resource management games, which is fine. Um, and many ma- and many magic systems are because yeah. magic is like even if it's just a, a utilitarian bunch of options to solve problems. It's in the game system. The mindset is this is something that falls outside of our real world. Like, I can ostensibly poke at you with a knife for a very, very long time. I mean, if I'm physically fit, I can just go to, you know, I, we can we can have a fight now. Eventually, I'll get tired. But, like, if you've got magic, like, can you literally sit there and just fling a, a, a magical arrow over and over? Like, that seems like, that doesn't seem right, is what people would say, because it's magic, and like, just to be able to do that constantly, which is, you know, why, like, at-will spells were kind of an innovation. There was a time, there was a time, folks, youngins, when D&D didn't have magic that you could just do all day long, and you really had to manage everything, so. Yeah. Figure that out. I, um, I just, I recently published a game in May that uses Caltrop Core, uh, which is like a D4 system. <laughs> really, I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. Uh, I really like this game. But the the whole point of this game is that you are trying to find a magic spell. Like, that's the whole point of this game. And this is a very specific, it's like a really short game. It's like maybe if, if, if you like just had it, the text, it would be like five or six pages long. But basically... You are you are mer people, and you are trying to become human, or at least one of you is. Like one of you is trying to become human, and the whole game is an attempt to find the spell that will make you human. And there's like some there's some like research management with like the the dice because it's a dice pool system, but at the end of it, it's like the magic is out there. You can find it but you need to find, but like finding it and like getting to that point is the whole game. So I think that that's kind of an interesting way to think of it where it's like, it's very utilitarian. Like the whole point of this magic is so that you can achieve a goal, which is to be human. But it's also allows for a lot of, I built in a lot of like world building and like culture creation into this game because I want the spell that eventually will turn you human to be like a part of the culture of the fabric of the game that you have been building towards. But I never specify like what the spell is or where you find it or how it works. I'm just like, yeah, they'll figure it out. Like the players will figure it out. That's not my business, but I have set up like the plot. I've set up, I've set up everything except like, 
the ending. You're working towards that ending, but like the magic is always like the goal, which in context with this conversation feels uh, like an interesting design choice that I didn't really, didn't really think about that hard. Well, and it's, <laughs> it's don't don't feel bad about it because like it's 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 the goal. Like, hmm. you know, you're gonna rescue the princess in in the in the game. Well, getting to the princess and figuring out where they are, you know, and figuring out like what are the traps and everything, and, and fighting the monsters, and then you rescue the princess. Well, like, well, what is what is like? Well, what happens with the princess? That's not part of the game. Like, that's that's later. That's like, oh, well, you know, like. Is, is, you, you you wrap it up she's thankful like you get a reward whatever the you know whatever the thing is that's yeah it, like making the making the finding a spell is just a goal yeah now i would be i would be interested to see a variation on that game where there was like a little bit of magic like do well, characters they are, perform, they are. perform any sort of magic as part of playing the game they could i mean i don't know i'm not a cop <laughs> well no i'm just i'm saying i find myself in that position of like like minor magics if there's minor magics available but the idea of transforming your whole body into something completely different is like whoa yeah and and that builds a world where like you've got magic that's like oh we've got these little yeah. magical things we can do but then there's this other magic that's going to help you be able to live this life or go find this person or whatever for whatever reason it is you're trying to become human totally and and there is and, like and it's absolutely. this massive magic yeah, there's absolutely a way to play that game in particular where there is a kind of very natural emergent magic from like these mare people. Because you are, you're mermaids, like you're all mermaids, mermen, marrow, like you're whatever, but like you're definitely like half fish. So <laughs> there's like inherently something like weirdly magical about it, but the magic is never quite defined or explained it's just like you know you've heard rumors that you could be human if you really wanted to be uh but the, the big thing about it is like there's yeah the the idea that like this magic is hidden or secret or forbidden or taboo is like definitely built into the game because it is about being trans sure <laughs> surprise so, in case in surprise! case you didn't pick up in oh, case man. you didn't pick up it's about the transgender experience i think that like the 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 impacts that the magic has on the world after the after you cast it after the spell leaves your lips that's one thing but then also having the the limitations on like the consequences of doing it first or what you have to do to prepare is a side that I wish was like more robust in a lot of the games that I've played. Like mm. you said, Linda, like D&D is not the best magical system. They have all these rules, like they have, you have to have components and you have to have verbal things and blah, 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 blah. And that is like so little and tiny and minor. You could do so much cool stuff like maybe I've, I've read books where every time someone casts magic, they suck in all of the energy from around them and it murders people in a sphere of ice and frost or mm -hmm. magic is that banned. Like, it's illegal. That sounds like fifth season. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, like borrowing some of those kinds of things from games too can make it, make it more robust. And I don't think you necessarily have to make everything make sense. I mean, we've, We've all watched movies where no. there's a like a Norse god and also a wizard and also a science ogre. Like oh, there's a science ogre. He's a science ogre. A science ogre. So there's all sorts of That's going to be in an Ionine article. Quote unquote magical <laughs> systems within this huge universe that people are super invested in and no one no one other than lampshading and tongue-in-cheek ways are saying like, oh yeah, there's a wizard guy, but also this person is literally a god. I mean, they well, say that, but no one cares. No one cares in the end. They, they gloss over it. They, they, it's they, a lampshade. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they literally say like, so, so you do, you do magic, like magic is real. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well then, and on we go. Yeah. Like, well, the and, characters, yeah. the characters in the story have accepted it. So I'm just going to go along with it too. If, if you are worried about players kind of picking apart your magic system, maybe they shouldn't be playing a game where there's magic because again, it's not a thing that exists in real life that you're making. We don't need to, we don't need to devalue the physics. We don't need to 
we don't need to write a thesis paper to enjoy a game like you Uh, what is it called where you where you like let yourself just be in the world what is that phrase suspension of disbelief thank you we all do that in our games (laughs) it's fine make it fun that's all yeah i think sorry my only thing is that like i think that the key to making making something fun even when you have like a god next to science ogre uh (laughs) (laughs) oh my god i'm so tickled (laughs) is just like keep it consistent even if it's only consistent for like that one science ogre that science ogre can do one thing always oh and his lawyer cousin and his lawyer cousin (laughs) and his lawyer cousin yeah i think it's one of those things where like consistency is really important when you have again it's it's the D problem right where you have gods and science ogres more or less but it's just like keeping those things consistent in your own game and like keeping those sort of expectations like moderating that managing people's expectations of what to expect within like a magic system right um but I think that's that's kind of the, the big thing. And I agree with you. If, if someone's going to be like nitpicking like a spell, I don't want to play with them. <laughs> yeah. Well, and as, as a designer, we always have to recognize that people are going to house rule. People are going to say like, this is 85% of this game. It's great. This is this 15% here. I don't like, and if they're just going to complain oh about it, God. then eh, bored. But if they're going to be like, well, then just fix, you know, fix it, make it just what you it. want it to be. That's fine. Um, but as, yeah. as you know, from the design standpoint, if, if you just like give it some thought and know kind of what your intention is and you don't have to describe it in detail, you can, mm-hmm. you can let the, let the, what you, what you define for the magic system or for any part of the game really speak for itself. Some people will, will hit on that thing. They'll realize that I had somebody wrote a review of good, strong hands recently. We're like, oh, they hit like, yeah, those are all things like that. They, they made a point they made point X, Y, and Z. And I was like, yep, those are exactly things I was thinking of while I was designing the game. And I haven't written a single thing about those in the game. Mm-hmm. They, they picked up that, like that was there. Um, and people will do that with magic systems. They will say mm-hmm. like, you know, oh, well, like like this person designed a system that like it's intended to be small and 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 mysterious and weird. And like, it's not going to ever be a world changing thing. It's going to be something that everybody mm-hmm. kind of whispers about. And, you know, you can make a system that conveys that because it fits your world to have that system. And uh, if somebody says, well, like, well, there's a magic system here, but it doesn't do nearly enough, then they maybe kind of miss the point of your game or your magic system. Maybe they should play a different game. Oh, there's other games. Oh, wait, wait, there's millions. There's literally, literally, I'm going to use literally figuratively. um, There's literally a million RPGs. I'm sure you can find one that suits you. (laughs) Yeah. And if you can't, you make your own. Yeah. I think that's that's the big thing is like, there's really there's really no wrong way to do a magic system. I think that there are just different ways to employ a table to make to like allow players to have more or less or like different kinds of fun with that magic system or like even ignore it entirely. Like I've definitely like played D and D games where they're just like magic doesn't exist, and I'm like, okay, we can do that, I guess. But why don't why don't we just play a different fucking game? <laughs> um, <laughs> Because you yeah. just you just took away like all magic and all magic items. Yeah, and I'm just like you just, I, you just stripped out half of the cool shit my character could be able to do. Yeah, but like that that's in a, in a power fantasy me. game. Yeah, but yeah. It, it, a lot of people are going to look at that and be like, "This is a power fantasy game." Like you just took away fifty percent of the power. Yeah, I think well, like my my point is more that like you can do that and like you can break the magic system that way, but that game isn't. But sort of, it's it's much less of like why would you do that to my character, and much more about the fact that like that's not the way the game is designed. Fair. And I think that there is there is a point where it's just like, especially I think this especially happens for a lot of games that are very popular and have SRDs, where it's just like you are trying to make a game that this game is just like straight up not not built to be. Mm-hmm. At some point, you just got to make a different a different game. That's true. Linda, this has been a very fun conversation. It's been magical, I will say. (laughs) Uh, 
Thank I'll you for joining us. And where can we find your, your stuff, your, your pluggables to plug? Oh my God. Uh, well, I'm very online. So Twitter is the best way to sort of keep in, keep in the loop with what I'm doing. And so my handle is at Lynn Codega, L-I-N-C-O-D-E-G-A. I'm also a staff writer at io9. So if you bookmark io9.com, you will find my stuff pop up there uh, daily, more or less. Excellent. Uh, you can find me also on Twitter at at Joska. Uh, you can find my games at wannabegames.com or at drive through RPG or itch under the same name. And you can find me at Nerdburger Craig on Twitter. Uh, the website is nerdburgergames.com. Stuff is all up on drive through RPG and uh, my Patreon is patreon.com slash nerdburgercraig. And we're, we're, we're making capers cyber. We're, we're doing it. It's happening. I wrote like 12 pages in the last two weeks. Um, so it's moving along. Wow. Productivity. What's that? <laughs> I wrote some fan fiction today. Does that count? Yeah, that counts. Sure. Absolutely. That counts. Linda, again, thank you for joining us. Yes, thank, thank you, Jess. You. Thank you, Craig. Thank you, Abel. <laughs> Sorry, thank you, Steph Sachs, for our opening and closing song, Avel, which was licensed under Creative Commons. Thank you, and thank all of you for listening, and we'll see you back here next time. Bye. 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 Bye.